infinite in a leonine manner. These things, the eyes especially, with their smoldering fire, might have indicated that he was to be a great American statesman. Or, on the other hand, they might simply have proved that he came from Carolina or Alabama. He came, in fact, from Mississippi, and he spoke very perceptibly with the accent of that country. It is not in my power to reproduce by any combination of characters this charming dialect. But the initiated reader will have no difficulty in evoking the sound, which is to be associated in the present instance with nothing vulgar or vain. This lean, pale, sallow, shabby, striking young man, with his superior head, his sedentary shoulders, his expression of bright grimness and hard enthusiasm, his provincial distinguished appearance is, as a representative of his sex, the most important personage in my narrative. He played a very active part in the events I have undertaken in some degree to set forth. And yet, the reader who likes a complete image, who desires to read with the senses as well as with the reason, is entreated not to forget that he prolonged his consonants and swallowed his vowels, that he was guilty of elisions and interpolations which were equally unexpected, and that his discourse was pervaded by something sultry and vast, something almost African in its rich basking tone, something that suggested the teeming expanse of the cotton field. Mrs. Luna looked up at all this, but saw only a part of it. Otherwise, she would not have replied in a bantering manner in answer to his inquiry, Are you ever different from this? Mrs. Luna was familiar, intolerably familiar. Basil Ransom colored a little. Then he said, Oh, yes. When I dine out, I usually carry a six-shooter and a bowie knife. And he took up his hat vaguely a soft black hat with a low crown, and an immense straight brim. Mrs. Luna wanted to know what he was doing. She made him sit down. She assured him that her sister quite expected him, would feel as sorry as she could ever feel for anything, for she was a kind of fatalist anyhow, if he didn't stay to dinner. It was an immense pity. She herself was going out. In Boston you must jump at invitations— Olive, too, was going somewhere after dinner, but he mustn't mind that. Perhaps he would like to go with her. It wasn't a party. Olive didn't go to parties. It was one of those weird meetings she was so fond of. What kind of meetings do you refer to? You speak as if it were a rendezvous of witches on the Brocken. Well, so it is. They are all witches and wizards, mediums and spirit rappers and roaring radicals. Basil Ransom stared. The yellow light in his brown eyes deepened. Do you mean to say your sister's a roaring radical? A radical? She's a female Jacobin. She's a nihilist. Whatever is, is wrong and all that sort of thing. If you are going to dine with her, you had better know it. Oh, murder, murmured the young man vaguely sinking back in his chair with his arms folded. He looked at Mrs. Luna with intelligent incredulity. She was sufficiently pretty. Her hair was in clusters of curls like bunches of grapes. 
Her tight bodice seemed to crack with her vivacity, and from beneath the stiff little plates of her petticoat, a small, fat foot protruded, resting upon a stilted heel. She was attractive and impertinent, especially the latter. He seemed to think it was a great pity what she had told him, but he lost himself in this consideration, or, at any rate, said nothing for some time while his eyes wandered over Mrs. Luna, and he probably wondered what body of doctrine she represented, little as she might partake of the nature of her sister. Many things were strange to Basil Ransom. Boston especially was strewn with surprises, and he was a man who liked to understand. Mrs. Luna was drawing on her gloves. Ransom had never seen any that were so long. They reminded him of stockings, and he...